Um, Lord, we thank you uh, for tonight. We thank you that we can gather together and we just thank you so much for Esther. We thank you so much for the work of IGM. And Lord, may you just be so at work in our hearts tonight and so present with us as we just hear Esther speak. Amen. Cool. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, I'm just going to scoot this out. If that's all right. Happy days. Um, well, good evening, everybody. It is really, really uh, lovely to be with you. Um, as I said, my name is Esther, and I work for IJM, uh, International Justice Mission. And I'm just a quick show of hands. Who has heard of IJM before? Amazing. Take a look around you. Take a look around you. Great, you're all going to heaven. Well done. Um, terrible theology. So, um, in a nutshell, IJM is the largest anti-slavery organisation in the world. And uh, we work on the ground, in the trenches, finding and rescuing children uh, and families from cases of modern slavery and human trafficking. And last year, we rescued 4,616 people. Amazing. Well... As a church, you guys played a huge part in that. So I want to say a massive, massive thank you for all of you that have prayed and encouraged and sowed into this work. Thank you so much. And um, this afternoon, I wanted to share a little bit about what we're seeing the Spirit of God doing across the world. Um, you guys are partnered uh, particularly with the work in the Dominican Republic, but I wanted to share a little bit about the global fight uh, for justice, because uh, the Lord is doing uh, amazing things. And um, in a moment, uh, I'm going to hit you with some stats, uh, some numbers. And if you're anything like me, um, numbers generally make me want to turn off and, uh, and, and tune out. And we get bombarded by stats about poverty and, and suffering every single day, don't we? You only have to turn on the news or, or open the newspaper and we get overwhelmed by what's going on around the world. It makes us want to change channel, tune out. But it is important that you know. So stay with me. By the time I'm finished speaking, around 50 more children will have been sold into slavery. Two children are sold every minute of every hour of every day. And they're sold into brothels and bars and sweatshops. But we know that children don't belong in brothels and bars and sweatshops, right? They belong in families and playgrounds and schools. And by using the word sold, I'm, uh, I'm not talking about some sort of neat contactless transaction where you uh, can pop down the road, uh, get a receipt and return it if you change your mind. Now, I'm talking about a parent being lied to, tricked, dropping their child off at school and then never seeing them again. I'm talking about uh, a debt that started nowhere legitimate, that is passed down for decades. I'm, I'm talking about women being drugged and assaulted and waking up in a foreign country. 
So I'm using that word sold really flippantly. But it's shorthand for something much more complex, which is the systematic oppression of the poor. You know, the most vulnerable people on our planet being preyed upon. Violence of the darkest kind. So when you hear that word, sold, please know that I'm not talking about a neat packaged transaction, but there is a different spirit at work here, and it is dark. Does that make sense? Two children every minute. But God knows their name, doesn't he? Let me introduce you uh, to one of them. Um, A few years ago, I came across a remarkable young woman uh, called Elizabeth. And I can't show you a picture of her, but um, she's um, this stunning uh, young woman. She's got bright eyes, a beautiful smile. And um, she grew up in a small village in in Southeast Asia, in an amazing Christian family. And um, when I came across her, she, she kind of reminded me of me. And that she had this ambition to go on to study. She was really passionate about theology and thought she might one day go to Bible college. That was her dream. And um, when Elizabeth was was 12 years old, a family friend offered uh, to pay for her school fees. And her family were desperate to give her a really good chance in life and said yes. And what they didn't know was her first day at school was the last day that they'd see her. As Elizabeth was kidnapped by this family friend, taken to the city and placed in a brothel. And every day of the week, for six years, she was raped and abused, sometimes 20 times a day. One day, one of our team, one of our IJM team, sent an investigator undercover into the brothel with a tiny camera to collect evidence, to find out what was going on. And that evidence then got passed back to the police. And uh, and working with the police, we invaded the brothel. My colleague described stepping over the threshold and the smell of the sweat and the alcohol and the smoke was suffocating. And he described walking through the door and every corner was a corner of darkness and every corner was a corner of suffering. And as they went deeper and deeper into this brothel, through this rabbit warren of rooms, uh, they brought girl after girl into freedom. And as they moved further back and further in, they came to this tiny room at the end. No window, just a curtain hanging at one side. So as they opened the door, I thought it was empty until they looked a little bit closer and they realised there was a little girl crouching behind this curtain, afraid. And they said to Elizabeth simply, you're safe now. And slowly you could see the kind of realisation dawn on her face that everything that she prayed for, everything she dreamed for was coming true. And slowly as she came out, she, uh, she looked up, looked my colleagues square in the eyes and said, I know where others are. And in that moment, she went from being rescued to rescuer. And over the next 
Two weeks, she took our team to five more brothels around the city and rescued dozens of other girls. Even more remarkable, when our team went back to the brothel to gather the evidence and see what had happened, they went back into Elizabeth's room and they noticed some some marks on the wall. Low down, written in chalk, behind the curtain where no one would see. And as they looked a bit closer, they saw that Elizabeth had scratched something in chalk on the walls. And she'd written these words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You see, Elizabeth knew what it was to be in unimaginable darkness and yet cling to the light. She knew what it was to be surrounded by suffering and yet intent on searching for joy. She knew what it was like to be desperate for things to change. And yet somehow she managed to cling to Jesus. In a moment we're going to have a look at what Jesus says about some of these things. And um, if you've got a Bible with you, we're going to look at the start of Matthew uh, chapter 5. Now I'll give you a moment to digest while you find that. And um, at the start of of Matthew 5, uh, we find a set of verses that we call uh, the Beatitudes. And they're sort of ten statements, they're very famous statements, ten statements that Jesus made as he was basically kicking off his public ministry. Um, As he was kind of trying to train his disciples and show them that this is what life with me might look like. And... um, And the kind of ten statements, ten headlines, I think kind of like the earliest form of an alpha course, if you will. And and as a whole, Matthew's uh, book is is an amazing book of contrast. If you haven't read it, it's uh, it's well worth a read. And uh, Matthew kind of emphasises both the real highs and the lows of Jesus' ministry. So, for example, it's uh, it's the book of Matthew that that really emphasises that Jesus is king, that he has welcomed in uh, triumphant and yet the depths of rejection that he experiences almost straight away afterwards. It is, uh, it is Matthew that, uh, for example, highlights that the feeding of the 5,000 comes straight before a storm in life. And it's Matthew that, that brings the role of the children into the centre of Jesus' kingdom. Um, and of the last, of being first. So all the way through Matthew, you get this kind of hint at the topsy-turvy nature of the kingdom. Of things turned on their head of rules being broken, of systems being overturned. And these, uh, these beatitudes, uh, these ten statements, um, kind of bring that surprising nature of the kingdom front and centre. He says, uh, blessed are the poor. Really strange, do we often think that? Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, uh, blessed are those who mourn, you know, those who are, who are grieving. You're going to be blessed uh, because you will be comforted. And uh, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 6, and this is what we're going to zoom in on this evening, 
He says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You know what? Little Elizabeth knew what it was to hunger and thirst for righteousness. She knew what it was to be desperate for things to change. And my prayer today is that God would interrupt us. That God would disturb us a little bit. Maybe a lot for some of us. So that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I wonder, just a quick survey. Um, who gave up something for Lent this year? We've got some good Anglicans in the room. Cracking. Okay, what did we give up? Give me some, some, some thoughts. What did we give up? Sugar. Sugar. Good effort. Sugar. Anything else? They want to do coffee. Alcohol. Not so. Alcohol. Good effort. Social media, anybody? Instagram. Instagram. So strong. Good work. You know what, when we do things like that, when we're giving up coffee or chocolate or social media or alcohol, and we find ourselves kind of wanting those things, don't we? Like, we get a little bit, like, twitchy for Twitter in a way that we've never been before, and our, like, thumbs are itching for, for swiping on Instagram and so on. Or, uh, or when I've given up coffee in the past, I find myself, like, opening the fridge more often than normal, just, just like, smell the beans and uh, inhale them and getting through the morning. And um, that gives us a little hint, doesn't it, when we give things up about what it is to hunger after something. It gives us just like a tiny fraction of the experience. Um, and the reality is, I think in, the, in 2019, a lot of us don't really know what it is to hunger, to be really, really desperate for something. I think we do when something really bad happens, you know, when our relationship breaks down or, or we experience really a severe disappointment or, or in the face of illness. We, we know what it is to get desperate then. I think for most of us, we live quite comfortable lives. I know that's the case for me. Well, Jesus says that the hunger and the thirsting is what really matters. And hungering and thirsting after righteousness. But what does righteousness mean? In fact, what is righteousness to you? I'm going to humour me here. If you could put the definition of righteousness in a tweet, what would you say? In fact, you've got... Um, take a minute with the people around you. What does righteousness mean to you? And if you don't want to talk, because that fills you with horror, um, you can kind of like adopt the praying position and people will, will leave you be. All right, so one minute. What is righteousness? Off you go.
Okay, guys, we'll bring it back in. Okay, so um, give me some thoughts. What is righteousness? Throw out some things towards me. You could tell I used to be a teacher. Heckle me. Come on. What is righteousness? Goodness. Goodness. Great. Right with God. Say it again. Being right with God, amazing. Doing something that's bigger than yourself. Great, doing something bigger than yourself. Great. Any other thoughts? As God intended. As God intended. Anything else? They're great answers. Um, you're a lot more holy than me, I'm not going to lie. So uh, when, I, uh, when I think of righteousness, I tend to just think of doing the right thing. You know, behaving properly. Um, you know, we think, uh, we think generally... Well, I definitely generally think of righteousness in terms of my own behaviour and, uh, and being quite personal. You know, am I personally right with God? Um, the righteousness that God gives me. You know, he makes us right with him. You know, he forgives our sins. So if I'm living righteously, you know, I'm not willingly sinning, I'm being kind of faithful in my relationships, I'm kind and I'm being loving and, and so on. You know, I'm personally righteous. And we'd be right to say that, wouldn't we? In the, in the Bible, that is true. But there is a little bit more to righteousness than just our own behaviour. You, you were spot on with what you said uh, just then. Uh, you see, righteousness in the Bible goes hand in hand with justice. And all the way through the Bible... You see time and time again that the two words, righteousness and justice, are brought together. So, for example, Isaiah 1, 17, that's on here, it begins, uh, learn to do right, seek justice, rescue the oppressed. Righteousness and justice, hand in hand. Or, uh, or Psalm 89, that says, justice and righteousness are the foundations of God's throne. And uh, time and time again, you see these two words used in tandem as a pair. They're like two sides of the same coin. One flows in and out of the other. So that leads to a second question. What does justice mean? So turn back 30 seconds this time. What is justice? What comes to mind when you say the word justice? Off you go. Fairness, all right. Um, 
You know, we often think of justice as, as fairness, don't we? Of, of are things fair? Um, me personally, I grew up as the youngest of, of three rather confident siblings. And I was always really concerned with the idea of justice in terms of, is this fair? And have I been treated fairly? And I've got hand-me-down school uniform. That's not fair. That's not justice. And, um, and we tend to kind of boil things down to, are they fair when it comes to justice? But um, the Bible goes a little bit further than that. And fairness is part of justice, but it's not where it ends. And the Bible talks about justice in terms of making wrong things right. Making all wrong things right. Whether that's wrong relationships being made right, wrong things in society being made right, wrong relationships with God being made right, making all wrong things right. It's this holistic, encompassing term. The way God makes the wrong things in me right. And Jesus says, I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness, meaning I want you to hunger and thirst to put wrong things right. Because then you will be satisfied. But what does that look like? Now, if, uh, if, I, if I may, I'd love to take you on a journey back around 15 years to the early 2000s as we, as a movement, started to wrestle with this call to make wrong things right. I'd like to take you back to uh, Cambodia in the early 2000s when IJM first started working there. And at the time, it was pretty much, as a nation, known as the global epicentre for sex trafficking. And particularly sex trafficking of children. And particularly of really young children. Foreign criminals flocked there, including Western sex tourists from here in the UK. And just outside of the capital of Phnom Penh, there were, uh, there were markets where there were trestle tables set up, kids chained to posts, and you could go there and pick a child to rent for as little as five or ten dollars. And it was estimated uh, by the UN and the, and the police that between 15 and 30 percent of all sex workers across the country uh, were children. That's 15 to 30 percent of hundreds of thousands of people. And the police were completely overwhelmed, partly because there were huge amounts of money involved and the depth of the levels of corruption, they just didn't know how to touch it. The stakes felt too high. Partly because many of the children were from the wrong ethnic group and so they were viewed as, as kind of less than human. You know, no one actually cared that much. Partly because the problem was so big and that the system just didn't know how to handle vulnerable, hurting, abused, scared children. The system was too broken. And so traffickers got away with it. It was out in the open. They didn't even hide what they were doing. that we got hungry and thirsty for a different story. We got hungry and thirsty to make wrong things right. And if we fast forward, uh, this is what happened over a period of about seven years. 
And first of all, uh, we started to pray. And churches around the world, churches like you guys, joined on their knees and began to pray, to looking justice in the face and keep on praying. We started doing our undercover investigation work to find out where these children were being taken. We began building up evidence and, and investigating where the children were held. We started working with the police uh, to, help them, uh, to help them rescue children. We started identifying in the police and the governments who wanted to do the right thing. Who were the people who were horrified? Who wanted to do the right thing? And then we threw all of the weight of resources and training and encouragement and support behind them. We asked, how can we help you? How can we bless you? And they talked about needing help to gather evidence, to, to train the court system. They talked about needing help to train the police. And they talked about needing uh, good social workers to care for the children. And we began working with them and, and taking through case after case through courts, working with child after child to help them recover and restore and to know that they're loved. And as we began to train more police officers and, and help rescue more children, we began to repair the broken system. And eventually we began to put traffickers in prison. And that sends out a really powerful message that God is on the side of the poor. When we started, 15 to 30% of sex workers were children. Today, the UN estimates that number is now less than 0.1%. The police unit that we work to train have been heralded across the world as leaders in their field. They actually came to do some training here in the UK about six months ago to share their expertise. And it has been so successful in this space that we have done ourselves out of a job. We actually no longer work there on that type of work. We've been able to pass that work on, and we're now focusing our efforts in that area um, on, on, uh, on slavery uh, in the Gulf of Thailand, in the fishing industry, um, because the Cambodian system is, is doing its job. And that's our aim, really, to, to such repair the broken system, to see such a move of God that we are done out of a job. And there's a cracking example that we can end slavery. We, as the people of God, know what to do. We just need to get hungry to see wrong things made right. And if we can do it in Cambodia, and we have done it in the Philippines, then we can do it in India, and we can do it in the Dominican Republic, and we can do it in Romania, and we can do it here in the UK too. My prayer for us today is that, yes, we would know that we are personally righteous, that we are made righteous with God, and that with the power of God, we will see the wrong things in our own lives be made right. That we would know that we are loved and called, and that we can live and walk and love and work in righteousness. That calling does start with us. But my prayer is also that every one of us in this building would know that's not where the calling ends. 
that we would be interrupted, that we would be shaken a little bit, to become hungry and thirsty, to make wrong things right outside of ourselves. So that we wouldn't let another Elizabeth sit in a brothel for a whole teenage years. That we would have so many Cambodian stories of transformed nations in the name of Jesus that IJM would not be needed. And I'm aware that not all of us here are lawyers or social workers that can literally go uh, to the front lines of slavery. I'm, I'm well aware of that. Though some of you might be. And I'd encourage you to, to pray about that if you're getting that nudge. And I'm also aware that loads of you will be involved in justice issues already in the room. And my prayer is the same that you would be encouraged, but that you wouldn't settle for the status quo. That we wouldn't, as people of God, be satisfied for, for lukewarm, comfortable lives. But that we would be a little bit shaken, that we'd be a little bit interrupted, that we'd be a little bit dissatisfied for the way that things are, that we become so restless to see the kingdom break through outside of ourselves, that we can't help but overflow uh, to a world-changing, system-changing, nation-transforming way of living. And I do also know that, that some of you here uh, feel called to this specific fight of slavery and this specific work uh, with IJM. And, and if you're getting that heart-beating-faster thing, because you think, you know what, this might be for me, and you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, then, um, then you really can be part of it. And, um, and I'd love to just invite you to consider three ways uh, for all of us that we might respond. And the first is, uh, is simply to, to share this message. There's something uh, really amazing that happens when the people of God uh, share good news stories. Um, so often, we're, I think we're kind of known as Christians for, for what we're against, rather than what we're for. And can we be known for being people of freedom and people of justice and people of hope? If you've uh, got a phone on you, I'd encourage you to give a like to IJM UK on, on social media, on, on Instagram, on Twitter, and you can track through stories around the world of kingdom breakthrough, of Jesus breaking through in the most unlikely ways. And you can share those stories. You can gossip the good news of the gospel, if you will, and, uh, and take that story into your own environment. Secondly, um, a really, really practical way that you can respond uh, is by giving towards this work, by literally sending rescue. Every person uh, that needs to be rescued needs a rescuer. Um, and if you are able to give resources towards this work, we'd be really, really grateful. Um, if I'm honest, um, the thing we pray for when it comes to that is consistency. Um, not an amount, it's consistency that, that really is what we covet. Um, because that means we can say to like Elizabeth, we're going to come back and we've got the resources to plan to back it up. Does that make sense? And um, I put these forms around. If you could just grab it if you've got one near you, just so I can show you. Then I'll talk you through how these work. So on the back of it, you'll see there are two sections. And the bottom one you can use um, if you want to 
give uh, monthly a consistent gift. And whether it's £3 or £33, it doesn't really matter. What we pray for is consistency. And, um, and if you're able to do that um, and be on this journey and send rescue like that, we'd be really, really grateful. And um, when we uh, draw together to respond in a moment, um, please prayerfully consider that. And um, that leads me on to our third practical response. And that is uh, to pray. I am absolutely certain that we wouldn't see miraculous breakthrough that we're seeing around the world if it wasn't for the family of God around the world stopping and dropping to their knees to pray. And every time we go on a rescue and a raid, uh, we know there is a global family who are praying for that rescue. And um, if you'd like to be part of that global family, um, I'd love to invite you uh, to fill in those prayer cards as well. And we'll send you real-time prayer updates as to when things are going on, how you can be part of the team by praying and petitioning um, and, and, and seeing breakthrough in that way. Um, so please do consider whether you uh, could be part of that story too. Um, over on the table at the back, I've put some magazines, which give you a little bit more of an insight into our work, if you'd like to know a little bit more of the detail, or I'll be around, so please do ask as well. But I'd love to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to, to build that holy hunger inside of you. To not be satisfied with the way things are, the way, the, the way, uh, things are but to be hungering and thirsting to make wrong things right. We know how to end slavery, but we're just going to have to get a little bit hungry. Shall we pray? Let's just take a moment to, to reflect and, uh, and prayerfully consider how we might respond. Jesus, we, um, we ask this evening that you would make us hungry. That you would uh, interrupt us. That you would so disturb our comfort, Lord. That you would help us to hunger and thirst after the things of your kingdom. Jesus, we know that you came to bring freedom to the captives. To set the oppressed free. And I thank you that you invite us to be part of the story today. Help us to be people who are so intent on making wrong things right. We won't stop until all are free. In your powerful name we pray. Amen.